maybe Gary, if, if you wouldn't mind starting off giving us um, a, sort of your your story with BP, you know what, uh, how you got started with the company and and what your career there was about, um, just so we can put some context to to what we'll be discussing. with Chinese characteristics and to get 
<laughs> uh, they started to make tentative steps in the direction of opening up their economy um, to outside influences. Then they had the major setback in 1989 because of the Tiananmen incident. Sure. Um, that really left the whole program in disarray. But by 1995, the world was putting that behind them. Uh, China was back growing again, and they needed energy, and they needed investment in uh, heavy industry, and in our case, they in particular needed an investment in petrochemical business. So the stage was actually set for BP to make a major strategic shift. Uh, I was sent there because my experience was in marketing oil products and in uh, production and marketing of petrochemicals. And uh, BP had made the strategic decision literally months before I arrived to stop looking for oil and gas. So the upstream business folded up its tent and left. And it was my job to build a downstream business, preferably focused on the Chinese market. In other words, our business was not to be mainly for export. Okay. Now, it, it's sort of the common story that, that we hear about FDI in China, or maybe it's, maybe it's the stereotype that we hear about, is that you know China in welcomes welcomes a foreign investor, requires that investor to form a joint venture and transfer technology to the Chinese firm, and then the Chinese firm uses that technology to grow its own capabilities. Was was that the case, or or to what extent was that story true for for BP in China? Uh, it was pretty much true. Um, when I first arrived, they were looking for money, and they were looking for management skill, and they were looking for um, appropriate technology. Prior to my arrival, there was a period where China was, was looking for the very best technology. And they discovered fairly quickly that it was hard for them to manage, and they didn't always need it, that a, that a less sophisticated technology would do the job for them. So by the time I arrived, they were interested in money management and appropriate technology. And the first number of projects we did, um, that's pretty much the formulation. By by around the, the turn of the century, by 2000, they didn't need either management or money nearly as much as they wanted technology transfer. And beginning by 2000, the projects uh, had as much to do with the relationship you're describing with the partner and building up capability um, doing projects where they were heavily involved in the management and therefore could learn as much as possible for, from the, the work of the joint venture. Most of our joint ventures were in fact 
Okay. Um, that was a formulation that a lot of companies didn't like very much, but at least until up to the time when I left. And it continues now, because I do stay in touch with the guys. It, it, that formulation has worked okay for us. So, so tell me a little bit about that. I mean, obviously, any kind of FDA, FDI arrangement has to benefit um, China as well as the investor. So, but but it it seems anyway from from the the anecdotes or the stories that we sometimes hear that companies are at least grumbling about technology transfer and and fifty fifty joint ventures. Yet it seems clear that there's a benefit, nevertheless, for the company to be invested in China. Yes. Now here I would I would point out the the industry that you're in and your scale matters. Okay. So I'm going to talk about the energy and petrochemicals business and at a very large scale. Um, and to give you an idea of what I mean, up to the point when I had left BP. Its share of these investments was was north of five billion dollars. So these are this, this this is very large scale, and it attracts the attention of the most senior people in China and in our case Britain. So there's a certain visibility and there's a certain dynamic associated with these very large projects that is not true for smaller investments. Okay. Um, but what we were looking for is investments that that would be strategic. They would have they would have a shape that was material to a company the scale of BP, and they had the potential for follow-on investments. Because follow-on investment is always more profitable than the first investment. And what I mean by follow-up is is adding another plant to a petrochemical facility or doing a de-bottleneck that increases the capacity, things like that. Okay. And um, so we needed, what we needed in a partner was a company whose scale um, would enable them to be able to invest alongside of us in these very large projects. So uh, the bulk of our projects were done with the state energy companies or very large chemical companies okay. that could that could invest at the scale that we're talking about. This is not universally true for everything we did, but for the bulk of it, it, it was true. We were looking for companies that had the sophistication to be a 50-50 partner and be able to put up people who could manage an enterprise at that scale and who had the technical sophistication to be able to um, sit alongside of us and uh, design and build these facilities and then operate them. Um, and we were, we were successful at doing that. Um, the, the big energy companies, and by that I mean 
works of these facilities, we fully expected them to be 50-50 partners in the management of these facilities and the decision-making that went around them. So we, we went in with the attitude that from the beginning that this wasn't a BP operation translated to China. Uh, this was going to be a joint venture and ideally it would have the characteristics that drew the best from both of the parent companies. Okay. Okay. And that formulation worked. The, 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 we, we didn't, in our joint ventures, we didn't have any major bust-ups or disasters. That's not to say that we didn't have moments when there was a certain amount of tearing at the hair. But, <laughs> Now, when there were moments of, of tearing at the hair, I mean, were there sort of key issues that those moments centered around? Typically, there was. Um, it wasn't uncommon. It wasn't uncommon that we would encounter things where, to be very direct about it, junior people had gotten themselves into the wrong state of mind on on both sides and, and those by and large were fairly easy to resolve um although they could they could be maddening um but there were more substantial ones that were strategic in nature and it would go to very high levels in, in both companies but one of the things that we focused very hard on was was what we referred to as a as a zipper relationship strategy and what I mean by that is, is that we identified people at parallel levels that went very deep into the organization. And we made sure that at every level, um, our person and their appropriate counterpart uh, got to know each other well and built up a, a working relationship that was appropriate for the issues they'd have to deal with. And as a consequence of that, of that strategy, which was mirrored by the interests on the Chinese side in all cases. They, they wanted to do the same thing. What that meant was is that we had many, many channels of communication uh, between us and our Chinese partners. Okay. And, and it was relatively rare for an issue to arise where it was simply a misunderstanding. Um, and as a consequence of that, um, we could identify, and when I say we, I mean we and our Chinese partner, we can collectively identify what is the core issue. The relationship was good enough we could have a frank conversation about it, and usually it was resolvable. Okay. In it, it, now, it, I, I do want to emphasize that this is a result of scale because if there was really a strategic tension these things could be recast into the political sphere so British ministers would meet with their counterparts and um, we had relationships that went all the way up to the, to the party secretary in the case of Jiang Zemin. Okay, so 
I mean, I guess it, it seems like that has the potential, though, to at times make business more difficult if, if politics can, can sort of be at the table. Did, was that ever the case? No. Okay. It, it, made it, it made it much cleaner. Yeah. In that you could have real strategic discussions about the relationship that we had with our our companies who were these very large state-owned enterprise, and there could be a discussion uh, within the political realm about the relationship um, between the governments. Okay. So, so this year, in I think it was March, that AmCham China released their annual China Business Climate Survey. And, you know, it was, I think it was similar to what it had been in the past, where, you know, businesses report what they call significant difficulties associated with doing business in China. And they list bureaucracy, IP rights infringement, protectionism, um, a, a, a difficulty finding qualified managers, all of these sort of difficulties. Of course, then the vast majority said that they would continue to and even increase their investments in China. But what, I mean, did, did you face some of those tif- typical difficulties or was that also different for you because of, of the scale and, and the very high level relationships that you could lean on? We, we didn't have the kind of difficulties to the same degree that, that are reflected in some of these um, studies. And I do want to also interject here and say that the, there is differences between Britain and China and the United States and China. Okay. Um, the, there's the nature of the strategic relationships between those t- two countries is subtly but importantly different. Oh, interesting. And, and I'm speaking from the British side. Uh-huh. Because uh, while I was an American, clearly this was a British company. Right. And in fact, we worked through Britain, and one of the things I didn't mention in my introduction is that I, I also was the chairman of the British Chamber of Commerce for two years. Oh, okay. Um, so... Our relationships were driven largely by the relationship between Britain and China at the at the political level, uh, and that is a, that is a different. There is a difference. So coming back to your actual question, yeah, these the, some of these issues were always in the background. Um, IP is something that we clearly had to take very serious, but. We we only had one significant problem with it, and in the end, that was resolved through negotiation. And it didn't involve it didn't involve our partners. Uh, it was a different company that had attempted to duplicate some of the things that we did in a particular petrochemical process. But um, by and large, the very big players that we were dealing with. There was nothing in it for them to, in 
culture in the first place. Okay. So we didn't have particularly difficult time with that. Uh, management, we identified literally from the day that I walked in the door as something that we'd have to work on. So we had a very, very aggressive program of recruiting the very best young Chinese we could get and training them to be managers, which by and large was successful. Um, we didn't retain them all, but if you talk around the industry, you'll find a very large number of, of people now that are in their mid, mid to late 40s who all came up through BP, actually. Okay. So we had we had quite an aggressive program to develop those people. So I never felt particularly short of of qualified Chinese. And the other thing that we did that I think most companies do now, but it was not that common at, at the time, was to open up completely to our Chinese staff what our strategy was, what we were trying to achieve, and make them full blown members of the BP family. I see. Uh, when I arrived, there was a certain reluctance to do that in some companies. Okay. Now, one, I, I want to ask you one last question, Gary, and then I'll, I'll turn it over to Andy. Um, when, when you were speaking at the, at the forum in Beijing, you, you talked about Chinese firms moving up into, into higher value-added work. Um, and, I mean, you were talking at, at the time about, about manufacturing specifically, but I'm wondering if, if, more generally speaking, what the role of FDI is in helping China move up that value chain. Very large 
Okay, okay. But it, I mean, and I know this is sort of a, a simplistic viewpoint, but it seems like that's fair, right? If, if, if it's good for the company to be in China, it seems reasonable that they also bring something to the table that the Chinese can benefit from. Well, I guess that depends a little bit on how you view, how open you think economies should be. If you, if you go to one end of the spectrum and say, well, as long as you're prepared to abide by our laws and there is, there is nothing that undermines our, our immediate security interests, then why should you not be able to make investments? As it turns out, of course, very few countries operate in that regime. Right. Uh, the China, the China, at the other end of the spectrum is we don't want you at all. So the Chinese are sort of pitched up someplace more on the restrictive end of saying, well, if you don't bring something that we want, we don't actually want to encourage you to come. Uh, what that means is, is that this amazing market that is evolving in China is only open through fairly narrow windows. Um, so today, let me give you an example of what I mean. Uh, because of some things we did with respect to to supporting the IPO, IPOs of PetroChina and Sinopec, uh -huh. each of these companies agreed to enter into joint ventures on service stations with us. And so, with one company, we have 350 stations in northern Zhejiang province, and the other one we have in Guangdong. Um, these ventures have worked very well, and in both cases, we would be interested in expanding them, uh, either by going to new territory or simply building up our market share in those territories. Sorry, can't do that. That sector is not open to you. I see. So there's a very large opportunity there to participate in the downstream business and um, doesn't matter how much FDI you've got, doesn't matter how much expertise you think you have, it's just not open to you. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I, I mean, we, we could talk for, for hours, I know, Gary, but I want to give Andy some time to, um, to ask a few questions. So I'm going to turn off my recorder, and, and I, but I, I really appreciate your, uh, your insight um, for futureofuschinatrade.com.